Amen. I love that song because it reminds us of what Scripture says, the Lord longs to be gracious to us. Sometimes don't we doubt that? Sometimes we wonder if He even tolerates us. He longs to be gracious to us and He is calling out to what is dry in us and what is dead in us and He is calling it to resurrection. Guys, listen, I am so excited about today's message, about what God has given me to pass along to you. We are starting week two of our series called The Next Right Thing. And just in case you weren't here last week, or maybe if you forgot, here's a quick recap. We talked about how when we have a huge mission or goal in our lives, just like we have for Four Points Church to reach lost people, that that sometimes that can become very overwhelming in the day-to-day, right? That we can start to look at all all of the things that have to be done to accomplish that mission. And when we get that mindset that it's all or nothing, it often ends up in nothing because we slip up and we give up. And so last week we talked about what is necessary to achieve those things that God has called us to, to to reach the mission. And that is simply to do the next right thing. And we talked about how at Four Points, we have what we call the Four Points Stance. These are four statements that are really the backbone of our church um, that sort of govern why we do what we do. And last week, we talked about the first two. The first one being that we believe God. And we talked about how that's not just believing in God, but believing God for his promises, right? We also talked about doing life together. Well, today we are going to finish up the four-point stance by talking about the two statements that you see on the screen over here that we love like crazy and we are open-handed. And I thought that the best way that I could think of to start this message was to show you guys a video that came across my social media feeds several times over the past few weeks since Halloween. I think this video is the perfect description of what the gospel is. Y'all take a look at this quick video. I know, right? Collectively. Oh, that is so sweet. But y'all, that's the gospel, isn't it? That picture of that little boy taking from the abundance that he has received and placing it in the empty bowl, whoo, that that is who we are to be, is it not? They say that a picture is worth a thousand words. That video is worth 10,000. I'm not sure I even need to preach this morning because if we all would live like that little vampire or Dracula or whatever he was, if we would live like that, the world would take notice. Y'all, that video has got millions of views, right? Because people took notice because that was unusual. And I'm not sure that when I was seven or eight, I would have done what he did. Eight-year-old Jenny was kind of a jerk. Like she was very selfish. And I'm sure that I would have looked at that empty bowl and thought only of myself and only of what I was not gonna be able to get from that bowl. But that little boy, he had enough, right? He had more than enough in his trick-or-treat bag. And he said, okay, I'm gonna give so that someone else can receive. He loved like crazy and he was open-handed. And I think that was such a beautiful picture of what we've got to remember, that emptiness is always an opportunity, 
Guys, listen, we are surrounded by people who have emptiness in their lives. It might be a physical emptiness where there is a tangible need that is not being met in their lives. Or it might be a spiritual drought like we sang about this morning where their bones are dry and they need life. But you know what? You and I have what they need. In the abundance of what God has given us and of what Jesus has done for us, we have an opportunity when we see their emptiness to pull it out of our bag of tricks and say, here, this is what you need. And if we do that, the world will take notice. But I think what often happens to us is that we operate out of a scarcity mentality instead of remembering that we have an abundance. Guys, listen, God's provision often comes through ordinary people. God could have, because he is omniscient, right? He is all powerful. He could have looked at that empty candy bowl and said, let there be chocolate and it could have filled up, right? Sometimes we wish he would do that. Let there be chocolate. He could have done that, but instead he worked through a child to perform the supernatural, right? For a miracle to happen. God can make the sun stand still. He can defy the laws of nature by speaking through a burning bush that it is not consumed. But often he works through ordinary people like you and like me and that little boy. And that is where the world takes notice because it is not normal for a child like that to not want to be selfish, right? We are naturally selfish people and we want what we've got and we don't want to share it. But the world takes notice when we give from what we have in a way that is above and beyond the norm. Listen, you and I as the church are not called to operate with a scarcity mentality because ours is not a God who is limited, We think that if we give to someone or something else, that it is subtracting from what we have. But we forget that our God often adds through subtraction and he multiplies through division and that he's not gonna run out. His candy bowl will never be empty. He is a God of unlimited resources and he is calling for us to participate in the giving because when we give, he gives more. When we give, he gives and he gives and he gives. It is unlimited. Ours is a God of abundance. And so where we see emptiness around us, God is inviting us into the opportunity that he has placed in front of us. How often though, do we see an opportunity disguised as emptiness and think we have nothing to give? There are some of you this morning who are thinking, I don't, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Listen, listen to what Jesus said to his followers. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told his followers this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared only for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. I believe that many of us should be on the show, Hoarders on TLC in a spiritual sense. Have y'all seen that show? 
Jesus be near. Okay, this is what happens in the spirit. We have been given an abundance, but we are scared to receive it and then release it. And so we hoard it. We hold on to it. We keep the riches that he has given us in the spiritual sense. And instead of it being a blessing, it becomes a burden. Have y'all seen the burden that those people bear on that show? They can't get out from under it because they've only received and they have not given We as the church are not called to be spiritual hoarders, but we are called to live open-handedly, not to receive and keep it, but to receive and release it. The American way of life is epitomized on the show Hoarders. But God says there are empty buckets all around you. Are you going to fill them? Are you gonna be the people who will? Look at Proverbs 3 verse nine. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now listen, this is symbolic. You and I are, most of us, not farmers, right? Most of us don't have barns that are filled with with grain and all these sorts of things. But I want you to think about the principle here. God says, honor me with your first fruits and then all of these other things will happen. And we look at that verse and we think, well, I'm not wealthy. Honor God with my wealth, I'm not wealthy. I beg to differ. Raise your hand if you have air conditioning in your home or heat right now. Hands down, raise your hand if you have a cellular device. Okay, hands down. Those two things in combination, the amount that you spend on them per day is more than what three billion people, half of the world's population live on in a day, your cell phone and your air conditioning. Those two things, y'all, that's not counting the amount of money that we spend on food, the amount that we spend on electricity, the amount of gas we put in our car, the amount of food that we eat, the clothing. All of that is not even taken into account. Just as an example, yesterday, I went to Starbucks, purchased two drinks. Do you know how much it cost me at the Starbucks for two drinks? $10.03. No, I had a gift card, so it was okay, right? Like I don't feel like a, like a glutton or wasteful. It was a gift card, but still, $10.03 on two drinks where most of the world lives on $2.50 a day. And we have the nerve to say, I'm not wealthy. We are. When we compare ourselves though, like to Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk, no, we're not wealthy compared to those guys, but compared to the majority of the world, we are And so God says, honor me with your first fruits, however much it is, honor me with that. And look what happens next. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, right? Your vats will overflow. We get it backwards. We think, God, I will honor you when my barn is full. I will honor you if my vat is overflowing. And God says, no, no, it will not be full. It will not overflow unless you honor me. Some of us this morning are spiritually dry and we want to know why. Our bones are dry, right? We sing that song and and it resonates with us. We're going, that is me. Look what this verse says at the end, y'all. It says, your vats will brim over with new wine. Do you know what new wine always represents in the word of God? a fresh outpouring of his spirit. We want that, right? We sing about it. God, give me more of your spirit. Give me a fresh outpouring of your spirit. But we have not walked in obedience to honor him. We're waiting on our vats to be overflowing and our barns to be full. 
and God says, honor me first, then those things will take care of themselves. We get it completely backwards. We don't honor God, ladies and gentlemen, so that our barns will overflow but in faith before they do. Some of you this morning, God is prompting you. Your next right thing is to honor him with what he has given you and to stop operating in the fear that if you give, it will result in subtraction. He is asking you to trust that if you honor him, it will only result in addition and multiplication. We don't honor him so that we get something. We honor him because of who he is. We love God like we talked about last week. We believe God and that is why we are open-handed. Listen, we're gonna be in the book of Acts today for the majority of our teaching. So if you wanna go ahead and turn there, we're gonna be in Acts 2. But I wanna set the stage for you and give you a little context of what was happening at this time period in the book of Acts. So at this point, Jesus had been crucified He had been buried, he had been raised to life, he had ascended into heaven and he had told his followers, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you. Go here and wait on the Spirit to come. So they did. And on the day of Pentecost, if you've read about this in scripture, you know that the Holy Spirit came in a powerful way and that there were thousands of Jews who had gathered in Jerusalem at this time And they were there for a Jewish festival, but the Holy Spirit came and they heard Peter teaching about this Jesus fellow and they put their faith in Jesus. Thousands of believers in one day, okay? Thousands of people came to Christ. And so where we are gonna pick up is what happens immediately after that when there is a church that has blossomed, right? It has just ballooned in number. That's where we are going to pick up in Acts chapter two. This is what it says, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves, all of these new believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And listen to this last verse. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Is that not what we want for Four Points Church? The number of people being saved, not just on a Sunday even, but daily, being added to. Don't we want a multiplication of the number of people in this area who know Jesus and follow him and serve him? That, that's our goal. That's our mission. That's why we exist. And so I couldn't help but think, if, think if, if that's what we want, if that's what we desire for the Lord to do, right? Like we can't make that happen. It has to be Jesus. If that's what we want, doesn't it follow that we should look and see what the early believers were doing that set up the situation so God could and would move? I want you to look with me at the things that these early believers devoted themselves to. The first of the four things is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, remember at this point, Jesus is no longer physically on the planet, right? The apostles were the men left behind who had been with Jesus, who had walked with him and talked with him, right? Who had seen him and touched him and they they knew him, but they are the ones left behind. And the, the apostles begin 
teaching everyone around them all of the things that they knew of Christ, all of the things that he said, all of his parables, everything that they could remember from Jesus's life. And so what these new converts did, these 3,000 people who are now believers in Jesus, was they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And I find this fascinating because these apostles, it says in scripture, if you go back and look at the descriptions of the disciples, it says that these were ordinary, uneducated men, right? They had no seminary degree. They were not experts in theology. They didn't even have the Bible written down, y'all. But they had been with Jesus. They had what those early believers needed. Some of us in here feel like we are not qualified to tell other people about Jesus because we don't have a degree in divinity, right? We feel like I don't have enough experience or enough knowledge. I don't have enough verses memorized that I'm not sure I can tell people about Jesus. Here's what I want to tell you guys this morning. If you have had an experience, an encounter with Jesus, you are qualified to tell somebody else about him. That's all you need. That's all you need is to know who Jesus is because to somebody who doesn't know, that is a lifeline. That is what they need is they need your testimony. This is what Jesus did for me. So these early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I want you to think about what it means to devote yourself to something. It doesn't just mean you do it when you feel like it, right? When you pledge to be married to someone, you are pledging to devote yourself to them daily. If you are devoting yourself to a new eating plan, you're devoting yourself three meals a day until you reach your goal, right? You devote yourselves. You make a conscious decision, and that's what these believers did. They devoted themselves to what? Learning. Learning. They knew that they did not know everything there was to know about Jesus just from their conversion experience, the day of their salvation. They knew that there was more they needed to understand about God. You see, these Jews had been raised learning the Old Testament, right? They knew that. But once they believed in Jesus, there is something else entirely new that they had to learn. And so they humbled themselves and said, will you teach me? And I'm afraid in our culture today, sometimes we have too much pride to say, I need you to teach me. Sometimes we operate in so much arrogance that we don't realize what we don't know. We think we know enough to get by and that's good enough. And I'm here to tell you, there's not one person in this room who knows enough about Jesus because he is unlimited. There is always something more that we can learn about him. There's always a new experience that we can have with him. And if we ever get to the point where we stop learning about Jesus. I'm not saying learning about religion. I said learning about Jesus. If we ever get to the point where we stop, we have doomed ourselves because then we fall back on and rely on ourselves. And that will always lead us into trouble. These people devoted themselves to teaching and learning. I heard a phrase that I love that I think we all have to operate in and it is the consciousness of your own ignorance. Anybody this morning need to own your own ignorance? Like, yep, I just don't know that. I just don't know it. Being ignorant, y'all, is not a bad thing because it allows you to be teachable. And that is what we need. I read a commentary this week, and this is what it said. 
I believe that there are a terribly large number of professing Christians and good people whose Bibles are as clean today, except on one or two favorite pages, as they were when they came out of the bookseller's shop years and years ago. You will never be strong Christians. You'll never be happy ones until you make conscience of the study of God's word and you continue steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. You may produce plenty of emotional Christianity and of busy and sometimes fussy work without it, but you will not get depth. I am so tired of shallow Christianity. I am so tired in my own life of having a faith that is not deep. I want that endless well in my life of the knowledge of Jesus. And how do we get that? In humility. And listen to me, it's not just devoting yourselves to teaching on a Sunday morning. If you are not in the word of God throughout the week, then you are not following the example of these early believers and devoting yourselves to learning about Jesus. What do you do on a daily basis to get fed in the area of learning about your faith? Do you do anything? Listen, your next right step Maybe to humble yourself and get your face in the word of God. It might be to listen to it as you ride to work. It might be to listen to a podcast of someone preaching a message about a truth that you need ingrained in your soul. All of us have a next right thing to do when it comes to being teachable. Do you have a teachable spirit this morning? Four points. We will not be a church that impacts the world if we think we know it all. If we think in this moment, eh, we're good enough, we know enough about Jesus, we can never know enough about Jesus. We have to be teachable. Look at the next thing that they devoted themselves to, to the fellowship. Y'all, there were thousands of Jews who had come into this area on the day of Pentecost. They had gathered there for the festival. They had left their nations behind And when they became radically saved and they followed Jesus, some of them did not go back to their homelands. Some of them, they would never see those congregations again because that was the old Jewish way of life. And and now they believe that there's a Messiah and they're following him. And so what happened was that this church adopted them in. They didn't just have attenders of their church. No, these were their family now because they were cut off, many of them, from everything else that they had ever known. And so they devoted themselves to this fellowship. And I want you to think about what that looks like for us today. We are welcoming anyone who walks in these doors who is seeking Jesus. Anyone. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what their socioeconomic status is. It doesn't matter what they smell like. If they are seeking Jesus, they are welcome in our fellowship. And not only will we allow them to walk in the doors, but they will become our family and we will devote ourselves to them because we are following the example of Jesus who cast no one aside. We are following the example of the early believers who said, yes, become part of us. That is who Four Points is. That is what is attractive to the outside world, y'all. Feeling like you belong, like we talked about last week. I want to read to you guys an excerpt from an article I read this week. This is really fascinating. It's called Scripture and Neuroscience Agree. 
Sounds fascinating, right? It's the study of the brain and how what scientists have learned about the brain agrees with what scripture says. And y'all, this is powerful. It says, God made our brains to need others. In recent decades, attachment researchers and clinicians have been explaining the truth about our personhood grounded in how our brains and bodies develop and function. We are embodied relational beings whose flourishing from first to final breath requires interdependence. As one researcher explains, the brain is a social organ and our relationships with one another are not a luxury, but an essential nutrient for our survival. The triune God who is relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, created us for relationships in bodies shaped by relationships. Psychologists have integrated insights from neuroscience and cognitive psychology with theology, the study of scripture, to describe how faith is far more than an individual pursuit, possession, or process. The concept of social cognitive extension describes how our minds extend beyond our brains and are enhanced and strengthened by others. Y'all, isn't that countercultural? We live in a country where isolation is king and loneliness is rampant. And this, this study, this science says we're getting it wrong. Our capacity to trust, hope, and love in want and in plenty is formed and sustained not merely through individual intelligence, but through our embodied experiences in the body of Christ. Our physical life together, including in our worship services, shapes the story we live, not just the one we recite with our lips or read on a page, but the one we feel in our bones and believe when we are most broken. Our worshiping life together has to express the full scope of life, one researcher says. There is always someone in the room who is in the midst of tragedy and someone rejoicing. We offer one another the fullness of the God who can encompass all of that lived experience. The truth of the gospel becomes a sustained belief and felt experiences not through hearing a sermon and applying it dutifully to our lives, but through experiencing the physical presence of other believers over and over with us in both sorrow and joy. You see, guys, we need each other. Our four-point stance says that we believe God, that we do life together, that we love like crazy, and we need each other. Science proves it. Some of you today are unbearably lonely, and you need somebody to understand you. You need somebody to see your sorrow. You need somebody to rejoice with you, right? That is what four points is about. We are that that fellowship, just like the early believers have. But can I tell you something? Fellowship, like I said last week, requires risk on your part. It requires you opening yourself up, up to vulnerability, acknowledging to at least one other person, hey, can you see me in this? Can you be in this experience with me? The early believers devoted themselves to that kind of fellowship, and, and that's what we're being called to today. This week, I had two experiences that just solidified this in my life. We met with the leaders of this church, the volunteer team leaders, this week, and we talked, and we laughed, and we ate. 
We fellowship together and it buoyed my soul, y'all. I needed that time. And then yesterday we got together with my family for my niece's second birthday and we just had fun together. And I needed that and it buoyed my soul because we are made to fellowship. And when we pull ourselves back and when we operate in isolation, it will only and always harm us. You may feel like you are being social when you are scrolling through Facebook or Instagram. I'm here to tell you that is not real fellowship. Real fellowship is with an actual living, breathing person whose eyes are reacting to what you are saying. That is the kind of fellowship that we are called into. That's what they devoted themselves to and that is what we are devoting ourselves to. Next, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This has two meanings here. Yes, they ate meals together. Remember, they became each other's family, right? Some of them never went back to their homeland and so they began living there in Jerusalem. They devoted themselves to having meals together, but they also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread that refers to the Lord's Supper. If you don't know what the Lord's Supper is this morning, I want to read to you from Scripture where Paul describes what it is. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. See the bread here? He broke the bread, and he said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He was teaching his followers this act to continue. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus was modeling. He was showing his disciples what was about to happen to him, that his body was going to be broken for their salvation, that his blood was going to be poured out to cover their sin. And he said, in the future, when I am no longer here, continue to do this breaking of the bread and drinking of the wine to symbolize what I have done and to remember my sacrifice for each one of you. You see, we are a people who are forgetful. And so Jesus told his followers, hey, don't forget to keep doing this, to keep breaking bread together, to remember for yourself and to remind each other of the sacrifice that I made for you. We have to be intentional to remember what Jesus did. And here's what I've learned, that remembering what Jesus did will always cause us to remember other people. Because when we remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us and how he saved us and rescued us from the depths of our sin, from the depths of despair and sorrow and brokenness and loneliness, when we remember what he did for us, the natural overflow, y'all, will be to want to share that with somebody else. We can't keep it to ourselves. When we break bread symbolically, what happens in our spirits is we are broken for other people who have not yet experienced his salvation. Those two things are, they are inextricably connected. You cannot separate them. Remembering Jesus' broken body and what he did for you will always cause you, if it is real in your life, to remember other people. It will cause you to love them like crazy and be open-handed in sharing that good news. That's what the word gospel means, y'all, just good news. We will share it with others when we remember intentionally what Jesus did for us. 
And finally, the fourth thing that these early believers did is they devoted themselves to prayer. Raise your hand if you ever overcomplicate prayer. We all do it, right? We feel like we have to say the right thing and we have to say it in the right tone, right? Like we can't pray angrily. I'm here to tell you, I've prayed some angry prayers before. We think we have to be eloquent and long-winded. And you know what Jesus did? He taught us how to pray, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. If you get stuck and you don't know what to pray, pray that. Or you know what else you can pray? Jesus, help me. That's a prayer. Sometimes just the word God is a prayer. We overcomplicate it, y'all. All it is is communication. I don't spend a long time, most of the time, thinking about what I'm gonna say to Josh, my husband. We just talk to each other, right? Like I don't have to write it out in advance and I don't have to wonder how I'm gonna sound because I know that he loves me and if he misunderstands, he will ask me to clarify, right? It's just conversation. But with God, who knows us even better than our spouses do, we overcomplicate it and we think we have to sound right or we have to impress him. Jesus just wants to hear what's on your mind. That's all he wants. He just wants to know what you're thinking. And he also wants to have the space to speak back to you. That's the part of prayer that I'm really bad at, y'all, is shutting up. Prayer is not just talking. It's also being quiet so you can hear what he has to say to you. What would happen if we just set a timer for like two minutes and did nothing but listen? Wouldn't that radicalize our lives? I think it would change because we would have room to hear from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we need to stop and be quiet. Now listen, those are the four things in that one verse there that it tells us these believers devoted themselves to. And then it tells us in the following verses, the results, the clear results of what happened after they devoted themselves. Let's look at that one more time. It says, everyone, who is everyone? everyone, all the people around them, not just the believers, but everyone who encountered them was filled with awe. And then many wonders and miraculous signs were done. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods and gave to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued. When? Every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread, they ate, they praised God, enjoyed the favor of the people and God added to their number. Listen to me. There were very clear results of these people's devotion. Their outward behavior changed because of their inward devotion. And that's a word for us this morning. If we devote ourselves wholeheartedly to pursuing God, to understanding and learning about the ways of Jesus, we will naturally change on the outside. It won't have to be manufactured. Nobody will have to beg you to give your tithe. Nobody will have to beg you to serve. It will be what you want to do because you have received and you want to pour back out. But it starts with an inward devotion to God, an inward devotion to our Christ who has saved us. Listen to me, four pointers. None of these results that we're wanting, a growing church, people being saved, everyone being filled with all miraculous signs and wonders, people selling their possessions and goods to give to people who have need, none of that will happen just because we memorize a four point stance. It will only happen if we live it. 
And so Jesus is asking us this morning to take our next step, to do the next right thing in an area of devotion. Where are you falling short in your devotion to your Savior? Is it in learning from Him? Is it fellowshipping and doing life with people? Have you snuck away to be by yourself? Is it breaking bread with people? Is it in prayer? What is the act of devotion that Jesus is asking you as an individual and us as a church to make so that he can perform miraculous signs and wonders, so that we can and will give to people who are in need, so that he can add daily to the number of people being saved. I believe that there is a very clear line in scripture in these verses from their humility to their sacrificial way of living to God's supernatural intervention. We are all begging, I believe, God for supernatural intervention, right? Like I do the things only you can do, save people, perform signs and wonders, heal people. We are begging for that. But I think God is pointing backwards and going, hey, have have you sacrificed? Is your way of life sacrificial? Have you humbled yourself? Now make no mistake, God can intervene. He can do supernatural things without us, but I believe He is waiting on us just like that little boy to humble ourselves, to see a need, to fill that emptiness with our abundance so He can then blow everybody's mind when He intervenes when he does his supernatural work. And that invitation is for us this morning. Are we going to choose to devote ourselves, to participate in what God is doing through our devotion to him and his truth and his ways? We all have a next step to take there. A healthy Christian community attracts people to Christ. That's what it says in the footnote of my my Bible right there in those verses. A healthy Christian community attracts people to Christ. You know why? The same reason that YouTube video I showed you has millions of views because it's unusual, right? We're not used to seeing that kind of generosity. If we will be the church like the early believers, if we will live the way that they lived, it will be attractive to people. They will take notice and say, what is happening at the Four Points Church? And we will say, come and see. We will invite them to be part of our fellowship and it will only continue and multiply as we go forward. But listen to me, if we are not outwardly generous, it's because we have not been inwardly changed. An inward change always precedes a change in behavior. And I think we get this backwards. We want to change the way people do things without helping them to surrender their hearts to Jesus first. And so I felt very clearly on Monday of this week, the Lord telling me that we needed this morning to humble ourselves, to remember who Jesus is, to remember what He has done, to devote ourselves. We have been here this morning, we have devoted ourselves to teaching. We have devoted ourselves to the fellowship. And now we are gonna devote ourselves to breaking bread and to prayer. 
And we're gonna collectively believe that what God did for that early church by churning out signs and wonders and miracles and salvations, He will do for us because we are humbling ourselves to devote ourselves the same way that early church did. Is there anybody here who doesn't wanna see that happen? That's what we want. That's why this church exists to be the light on the hill, right? That's who we are. But it starts with our devotion and our humility. And so what we're gonna do here in just a few minutes is give you the chance to pause in this week of Thanksgiving and to give thanks, to break bread with the fellowship of believers in this room, to pause and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made so that you and I can escape the sin that has entangled us, to have hope for an eternal future. We're going to break bread and we're going to spend time in prayer, telling God what we are thinking and feeling and what we're afraid of and what our hesitations are and what our insecurities are. We're going to beg Him to do something miraculous through this church. We're going to talk to Him. That's all that we're going to do in prayer. Just, just talk to Him and listen to Him. He might want to speak a word into your life this morning. And so we're going to give you space to do that. Here's what this is gonna look like. The logistics are row by row, you're gonna come up and you're gonna break off a piece of bread to symbolize Jesus's broken body. You're gonna dip it in the cup of wine, which is grape juice, just FYI. Dip it in there to symbolize his blood poured out for you. And before you consume it, we're gonna ask you to just stop and give thanks and remember. That's all communion is, you guys pausing to give thanks and remember. And listen, if you are in this room and you are not already a follower of Jesus, we're gonna give you an opportunity to come down front, talk to Pastor Stephen, pray with him and accept Jesus as your savior. And then we will joyfully and gladly lead you in your first Lord's Supper. God is inviting you this morning to take your next step in devotion. For some of you, that is surrendering your life to Him, believing Him. For the rest of us, it's in an act of devotion that He will reveal to you if you ask Him. So one row at a time, we're gonna have some guys standing on the end of your row to tell you when to get up and go. And you're just gonna come up to one of these tables and then circle back to your seat. We're gonna have music playing. And my prayer is that this is just a time of reflection and thanks and you listening to the Spirit. Remember that when we honor God, He pours out new wine. He's wanting to pour out some new wine in our lives this morning, a fresh outpouring of His Spirit. He wants you to experience Him in a way perhaps that you have never experienced Him before, but it starts with your humility and your devotion. Before I pray, I want to just read scripture again to you about the Lord's Supper. Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. He took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He is here to forgive this morning. He is here to pour out his spirit on you. He is here to meet you where you are. He is here 
longing to shower His grace on you, longing to be gracious to you this morning. Will you be open-handed to receive what He has for you? Because He loves you like crazy. Somebody in this room needs to hear this this morning. He loves you like crazy. He is holding out His open hands, extending His love to you. And now it's your move. Will you accept it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We pause in this moment after we have devoted ourselves to teaching, after we have devoted ourselves to fellowship, we pause in this moment to devote ourselves and give thanks for the breaking of your body and the spilling of your blood for us, God. You did it for me. You did it for each person in this room. You didn't just do it for mankind. You did it for each of us. And God, as we go through the physical symbolic act this morning of the Lord's Supper, I pray that you will do something powerful in our spirits. God, that your spirit will move in this room, that we will have the fresh wind and the fresh fire of your spirit, that salvations will happen in this room this morning, God, that miracles, signs, and wonders will begin to happen in this place, that everyone will be filled with awe and that we will give to anyone who has need. Lord, that we will see our possessions and our goods, not just as our own, but as a means to fill the emptiness in other people's lives. God, would you move in us? Would you change us? Would you humble us to be your servants, wholehearted, holding nothing back? Jesus, thank you for looking at each of us and counting us worthy, for desiring a relationship with us and for making a way so that we can spend eternity in your presence. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you are wanting to pray with Pastor Stephen and receive salvation this morning, he's gonna be right down front. And he would love to share Jesus with you and help you in your first communion. Guys, listen, pause, give thanks, and remember as we take the Lord's Supper.